0: Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your
1: host, John Murphy. Here we go, ready to start another installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. How you doing? I'm John Murphy, play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. Happy to have you here with us this week with a lot to talk about, including the Bills and that unbelievable loss last weekend against uh, the Jaguars in Jacksonville. I still... Still scratching my head about that. We'll talk about that on today's podcast. Also, going to talk about the 11-day power play, which is coming up to Buffalo, New York this weekend. Starts this Sunday. Also, we'll talk about a visit to New York City we're going to make. Let's start with that. So the Bills play the Jets Sunday, 1 o'clock over in uh, Jersey, MetLife Stadium. We're going to get together with Bills fans from the New York City area on Friday night. This Friday, November 12th, 7 p.m., 10 p.m. at Kelly's Irish Pub. It's 12 Avenue A down on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. It's called what they call Alphabet City. We're going to be pouring Sullivan's Ale, uh, the Black Marble Stout, the uh, Malting's Irish Red Ale, the Sullivan's Gold Ale. We're going to be pouring that, and we're going to be talking about the Buffalo Bills with New York City Bills fans. It's this Friday night, Sullivan's night at uh, Kelly's Irish Pub, 12 Avenue A, Lower East Side in New York. Hope to see you there, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Should be a good time. It's kind of be like the show. Except we'll be doing it in purpose, right? uh, In in person, I should say. On purpose. We're going to be doing it in person. And uh, we'll talk about beer and we'll talk about the bills like we do on this show. This Friday night at Kelly's Irish Pub, Avenue A in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And we talk about uh, the beer. As well. Mike Lesakowski is going to join us later on. He's the co founder of the 11 day power play, which starts up this Sunday. Sullivan's is one of the co sponsors of the 11 day power play. Our CEO, Michael Mead, is going to skate for 11 consecutive days in what will be an attempt to break the Guinness Book of World Records all time record for the longest hockey game. That starts this Sunday, goes right until the day before Thanksgiving. We'll talk with Mike Leszekowski, 11-day power play, coming up in a couple of minutes. We'll start talking about the Bills, though. I'm going to talk with Eric Wood, longtime Bills center, former first-round pick, nine years in a Bills uniform. Now he spent uh, two of the last three years as my partner on the Bills radio broadcast on the Buffalo Bills radio network. You know, so I spend all day Sunday with Eric talking about the Bills, but it was such a stunning loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars Sunday, and the nature of the loss, so many problems on the offensive line with pass protection, I figured Eric's the perfect guy to talk to about it. And we're going to hear from Eric his thoughts on the game, what he thinks about it a few days removed. It was stunning. It really was. I do think it was a one-off. You know what I mean? It was an aberration. I don't think it's indicative of a future trend an oncoming trend for the Buffalo Bills, I think they'll bounce back. They have to, but I think they'll bounce back. Jacksonville did not play that well. The Bills just played worse, a couple of bad teams on the field Sunday in Jacksonville. But it's an aberration. The Bills won't play that poorly very often, if at all, the rest of the way. So that's something to keep in mind, I think, moving forward. There are some serious problems to fix, though, for the Buffalo Bills. There's no question about that. And I don't want to diminish the nature of the loss. There are implications of the loss that we'll talk about in a moment, but some serious issues with the Bills, primarily with the offensive line. Pass protection, what do they do? Uh, They hope to get uh, Spencer Brown, the rookie right tackle, back in the lineup this week against the Jets. That would mean that Darrell Williams can move back to right guard, and maybe that'll solidify things up front. They hope to – I don't know if they've got other things planned for the offensive line. You really can't go out and get a good player – at this stage of the game, right? Midway through the season, middle of November, there's no uh, quick fix as far as personnel for the offensive line. I think just as important as uh, maybe fixing the personnel, though, is fixing the approach. Look, the Bills have to have a better balance of runs versus passes. Now, I'm not saying they should run more than they pass. They're clearly a pass-first team. They are talented. They've got weapons in the passing game, including the quarterback, Josh Allen, one of the best in the game. But when you play the way the Bills have played for a couple of weeks now, and that's almost exclusively throwing the football, you run the risk of a team like Jacksonville or anybody saying, okay, you, we're going to play a couple of deep safeties and we're going to send pressure all day long. And if we get beat, if you're Jacksonville, you think if we get beat, okay, we're not that good anyway. We're taking a shot, maybe our only shot, our best shot at winning this game. They took their shot and they won. Uh, the Bills couldn't handle the pressure. And uh, I don't know that everybody will blitz quite as much, but you got to believe that teams have – you know, found the uh, template, right? They found the formula for uh, playing the Bills, slowing down the Buffalo passing game, and that's something to think about too. But I, I, they will have to fix that. They'll have to do something in pass protection with the O-line, and they'll have to do something with uh, the run-pass mix, make sure that teams don't tee off on them, expecting no runs at all. Those are important things to do. Josh Allen's got to play better, no question about it. Uh, Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, has to coach better, no question about that. But these are fixable. They've got to fix it, though. They've got to get on it. They've got to fix what they can uh, in the next uh, well, in the next couple of days here as they get set to play the New York Jets. The other thing troubling about it, it's the third loss in the AFC, third loss of the season, obviously, the Bills 5-3. and three. All three losses in the AFC, nine games to go. Uh, if they're going to get home field in the playoffs for one game or more, they're going to have to win AFC games. Still nine games to go. Maybe they have to win the remaining AFC games if they want home field into the Super Bowl. And that is a legitimate uh, thing that was in reach a couple of weeks ago. Now it's a bit more of a stretch after a couple of losses in the conference. So that's significant, too. We're going to talk with Eric Wood about all of this. The uh, My color man on the uh, Bills Radio Network, former Bills offensive lineman, the center for nine years. Eric Wood's going to join us when we return, coming up right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. <laughs> My guest this week on the podcast, a familiar name, a familiar voice, Eric Wood, first round pick of the Bills, played nine seasons with the Bills. And of course, he's now the color analyst on the uh, Bills radio network, my partner on uh, Bills game days, my partner on the broadcast. Eric, uh, somebody might say, you just spent three and a half hours talking to Eric all day Sunday. What could you possibly have to talk to him about today? But I think this is your wheelhouse, right? You're an offensive lineman. You you might have some insight into what's going on with the Bills offensive
0: line. Yeah, and and I definitely can. We we can get into that, but Murph, any chance to talk to you any more than our outside of our three and a half hours is my pleasure. Oh, that's nice. I, I really am enjoying the broadcast, and we're going to get to some of that in a minute or
1: two here, but just basically, I got a lot to ask you about the offensive line, but overall, what
0: happened? What do you think happened uh, Sunday in Jacksonville? Well, you got 60% of your offensive line is shuffled around right now. You have John Feliciano out of the lineup at left guard. Ike Butker goes in. Cody Ford's now in at right tackle. Darren Williams goes back out to right tackle where he started the season, but he struggled there. They move him inside and he started playing a lot better. Spencer Brown's out with the back injury. You also have your tight end in Dawson Knox out, who is an extension of the offensive line. And although Tommy Sweeney is well-known as um, the better blocker, what Dawson Knox brings from an athleticism standpoint, and even this year he's doing better blocking, that hurts the offensive line as well. So when you combine – all of those moving pieces with the fact that they have not committed to the run game, which can help an offensive line not be as glaring uh, with the uh, pass protection issues. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot to it, you know, Um, and, and, and last week was the perfect storm of you have enough penalties to keep backing yourself up to get in these obvious pass rush situations, similar to the Pittsburgh game. And, You turn the ball over three times. You get in must-throw situations at the end. All of that can amplify issues on an offensive line. I'm not sitting here saying that um, their play isn't justified of criticism. They're professional athletes. I understood it when I got it when I played, and there was plenty of games where we didn't play to our best. I actually had a conversation with Will Wolford yesterday who saw some heavy criticism from some Bills alumni on Twitter, and Will's comment was, it's easy for us O-linemen to think – that we all had perfect games throughout our careers, and that even on some of those Super Bowl teams that Will played on, those O-lines struggled at times in pass protection uh, here and there. But that being said, there's got to be solutions moving forward. We heard from Sean McDermott after the game. This is an original thought by you or me. We heard from Sean McDermott after the game that we need to fix some things. So then it becomes, what can you do to fix those things? Part of it is you hope Spencer Brown gets healthy because the offensive line looked solid there. Um, I, I think a lot of people on social media and voicing opinion would like to see Ryan Bates, who played well throughout the preseason at center, maybe pop in at left guard. I don't know that that's the answer. Ike Butker's played pretty solid, and, and I've never seen him. Ryan Bates play guard. Uh, through in a regular season game uh, through a, a full game I, I i know what i've seen for mike Bucker, and i know he can get the job done cody ford's had struggles this year and you know it's well known i mean he he would tell you the same thing he got benched sean mcdermott said he hasn't lost his morale he's continuing to work hard trying to get some technique back and for a guy that um, was more of a power blocker you know moved him. he's never had kind of a set in stone place he's played some so they bounce up around. Then he gets a serious knee injury last year that he's got to spend all offseason rehabbing. And, and I'm not sure if, you know, throughout his career, even when he was healthy, he wasn't just stuck in there at right guard the entire time. And then you combine that with the knee injury, maybe a loss of confidence after getting benched. Uh, and so you're seeing some poor play from that. But what can they do moving forward? You hope that Spencer Brown comes back. You can utilize some play action, which – Requires you to be effective in the run game, not necessarily run the ball 30 times a game or 35 times a game, but be effective when you do it. Uh, that can help an offensive line screens, draws, um, and and ultimately, you know, some of the pass protection issues were the direction of the slide. So there's only five guys the offensive line can go to and you're trying to determine which kind of side of the field we're going to devote three of our five guys to on most pass protections well there was free hitters coming at josh all game well that looks like offensive line issues as well yeah
1: um let me get into some of the individuals up front there let me start with feliciano john feliciano who um you know he's hurt and he'll be out in another week or two at least and when he's back maybe he gets back into the starting lineup maybe he doesn't maybe they like ike butker as much as as you say they do but Feliciano, I think. He he brought a certain toughness and an edge to his play. Is that could that be kind of what they're missing up front? Do you think?
0: A little bit of it, and and he's your veteran leader that brings the toughness. I think uh, Deion Dawkins has been a captain in his career. He brings that toughness as well. The more you can have of those guys, the better. But you know those guys have all said, and especially when John got resigned, part of the reason they resigned him is because he's their he's their tone setter up front. He's going to set the tone for the group and for the game and how they play. Not having him, uh, it affects things for sure. He's a a quality offensive lineman in this league. But, um, you know, there there wasn't a huge drop-off last year when Ike Bucker came in at guard, and I don't expect there to be moving
1: forward either. And the other guard, you've already talked about Cody Ford. I think – for many Bills fans and some observers, it's it's like a colossal disappointment that a, a highly rated draft pick has, has turned out to struggle so much. Yes, I get the injury last year and, you know, in and out of the lineup, but he, he doesn't seem to be progressing forward. I think that's pretty evident for, for most observers,
0: no? Right. And when uh, an organization has drafted really well, especially early in the draft, when, uh, as of late, they have drafted really well, I'll say, and – uh <laughs> I'm not going to give them compliments on either taking myself or some of the others, but um, <laughs> that being said, when you when they trade up to take you early in the second round, I actually announced the draft pick down in Nashville when they traded up to get Cody Ford, there becomes a lot of expectations. On him, hey, you're going to be one of the integral parts that's going to protect our franchise quarterback. We finally have this shiny new object that we got to protect with everything we can. And you're a part of that, Cody Ford. And the fact that he's struggling in pass protection has made him uh, fall out of favor with virtually all Bills fans at this point. And, you know, you can always, you know, redeem that. And and if it's not here, Cody Ford will get a chance somewhere else because the offensive linemen are tough to find nowadays. And and, you know, if, if this ends up being a swing and a miss by the Bills organization, they're not going to be the only one that has invested a second-round pick or higher in an offensive lineman that hasn't worked out. Let me get you diving a little bit deeper into the the run-pass imbalance.
1: It's great that they're a passing team. They're sort of uh, – you know, they, they've sort of set the tone in the NFL for an effective, uh, productive passing game over this year especially and last year as well. But are they out of whack? They need to run, right, and, and not just to – uh uh, to control the ball, but just to get rid of that imbalance so teams don't just tee off and, and play uh, defense against the pass.
0: Yeah, and I think they're seeing that at this point <clears throat> that they are they need to run the ball more effectively. When they run it, they need to run it more effectively. And I don't know if that comes with doing more um, underneath center run plays where in your, when you're in the gun, you're really limited in the amount of different plays you can do with the running back in that – sidecar position next to the quarterback also I, I think it hurts the run game that dawson Knox is out for a couple reasons because one like i said he becomes such a receiving threat out there that you have to respect him as well as all the other weapons it pulls more people from the box also it, it virtually eliminates any 12 personnel when the bills ran 12 personnel last week it was with ryan bates in at tight end so they're bringing in an extra offensive lineman That's not a receiving threat. Anytime it's not a receiving threat, people are going to be able to crowd the box. And I think getting into you know twelve personnel, maybe some twenty-one personnel, depending on the talent of the uh, front seven of the defense, you know, you can do some of those things to run the ball more effectively. But I think in this day and age of the NFL, with the and part of it is this: when you run the football, these refs are going to throw a ton of holding calls on the offensive line when you throw the football. Most of the penalties are coming in the defensive secondary, and it's against the defense. And generally you're not backing up as much, but I'm with you, Murph. There there needs to be some element of fear from a defense that you can run the ball or else we're going to see game plans similar to what people are giving Kansas City right now and what we called for that Bills-Kansas City game when they just dared them to run the ball.
1: Yeah. Hey, what do you think? You've been around this group, this coaching group and and the Bills for years. What do you think the conversations are like early this week as far as uh, the things we're talking about and resetting? First of all, do you think they're, you know, acrimonious? Do you think there's a lot of arguing going on? I I just wonder how coaches handle a, a total breakdown like they
0: had Sunday. So Sean is no different than many great coaches out there, and they know when to push the buttons of their team. And when you're coming off of a tough loss, that's not necessarily time to beat you down and beat you down. And when you're coming off a big win, sometimes that's not the time to just build you up. It's generally the opposite. I, I, think, I think early in this week, Sean's philosophy is always you either win or you learn. So it's going to be what can we learn from this because otherwise – this, this lock can just be so de- defeating for us. But if we truly learn from it, get better, similar to that Arizona game last year when the Bills just went on a tear after that, can, that be the, can this be the turning point in the season? We thought it might be that Tennessee game, but can this game be that Arizona game that the Bills go on a tear from because they truly learn from it? But there's going to be some uncomfortable conversation. I think one of the best things that Sean – and the organization do, is they're constantly bringing in guys. They're constantly trying out guys at different spots. They're constantly tweaking the lineup to make you understand that, look, your spot, I don't care who you are. And we saw it with Mitch Morse last year. He's one of the highest-paid centers in the NFL. Comes off of his concussion. He's fully healthy, and they just held him out a couple of weeks because Feliciano's playing well. They will do that, and that can make people really uncomfortable. And Sean will tell you what you need to get better at, which, honestly, I truly appreciate about it. Yeah. Eric, what
1: role does Josh Allen, I mean, his offensive line failure Sunday in Jacksonville, but Josh Allen did not play well either. And what role does he play in what happened Sunday and getting better? What does he need to do better? I guess is my question.
0: Well, first and foremost, you got to take care of the football better. You know, his, his one interception he threw that the other Josh Allen got him. It's amazing that The defense that they ran, Josh Allen's lined up on the left side of the Bills formation outside as a pass rusher on the line of scrimmage. He drops out based upon the blitz, goes all the way across the field and ends up picking off that ball. It's a a great play by him, honestly. And that happens because when Josh went to scramble, no one was anywhere near Singletary. That's where he felt confident he could just dump that ball down. I think that defense probably gets a lot of quarterbacks in that situation, knowing that your outlet should be open there And Devon Singletary. On the other one, he's got to take care of the football better, and I don't know if the interception to Cole Beasley was him just simply throwing off his back foot and didn't get enough mustard on it. If Cole Beasley and him were on different pages based upon the way Cole Beasley broke, that's what I'm assuming it is. Um, You got to get on the better page there because that that, that play was right near the Jags' 20-yard line. You lose by three three points that wipes three points sure. off the board right there. Yeah. I think the, I think Josh Allen and the bills need to be better in the red zone. Josh can't fumble the football on that one uh, third and one run. There's a lot he can do better. And, you know, we even talked about on the broadcast that, you know, Josh gets almost in panic mode and says, Hey, I got to go win this game. Well, he's the ultimate competitor. Yeah. And you know what? I will take the bad of Josh Allen with all the good any day. And what makes him, seem like he's panicking at times, seem like he's forcing things at the end of games when the Bills are struggling. That's competitiveness coming out. And he doesn't make that third and 22 throw to Manuel Sanders to extend the drive if he doesn't have that in him. And, you know, we we, obviously we both love Josh Allen, but, you know, we're not going to sit here and crush him based upon him doing all he can to win a football game. Right?
1: Hey, you mentioned Cole Beasley. There's one play... In the second quarter last Sunday, and and look, I know that game was a disaster. There was no one play of the game or one play that decided it. But um, second quarter, about three and a half, four minutes left. Cole Beasley wide open over the middle. Uh, Josh got the ball to him, and Beasley dropped it. And at the time, you know, again, there was no turning point in that uh, terrible loss. But I thought to myself, huh, this is a little bit different now. And I wonder if that thought went through the minds of Josh and the other players. Like, Beasley so rarely drops a ball. That got my attention. I was like, well, this is a little different today then, isn't it? What do you think? Am I crazy?
0: Yeah. When when we talked about this was the perfect storm for a Bills clunker and a Bills loss, especially offensively, when you combine the turnovers, the three turnovers with the four sacks and the 12 penalties, four personal foul penalties, and then you combine the fact that they had drops as well, I mean, you just can't have it and And in a game, and NFL games are even though we were a fifteen point favorite, NFL games are generally always decided by one score or less. Yeah. When you drop twenty yard pass plays like that, and who knows how many yards he gets up the field after that, I mean those those are enormous in the NFL.
1: yeah Eric, um the the effects of that loss, the the impact on the bills. Uh, I'm wondering what you're thinking first of all about what future Bills opponents do. Did the Jaguars? sort of uh write the blueprint for how you handle the bills is it just
0: constant pressure maybe similar to what the Dolphins did the week before I was gonna say I think the Dolphins wrote the blueprint first and the Jaguars saw some of that yeah. and implemented it now Josh Allen made the Jaguars pay early anytime they ran man-to-man defense which forced them to run all zone defense in the second half so you got to give them credit for the adjustment that the Jags made but I don't know if this is going to be the defense in the philosophy of everybody moving forward because not everyone's going to have one or two losses and playing with nothing to lose like the last two right. opponents have, but it's worked. And you simply just bring blitzes from all over the place, try and disrupt Allen's timing in the pocket. Then when you do bring four rushers, then the quarterback is a little off kilter because your internal alarm clock's going to go off sooner that you got to get rid of the football or you got to scramble. And there was times where the pocket was clean, but he's escaping just knowing that, man, I'm getting hit almost every play, which is natural. Every quarterback in history has done that. And, um, you know, when you talk about long-term effects of this loss, having another AFC loss hurts the Bills. When you talk about what their original goal that they talked about, and the Bills under this organization rarely talk about long-term goals, but Josh Allen, Brandon Bede, I think maybe even Sean McDermott said, we want to host games in the playoffs this year. We want to host them all. This could play a factor in them not hosting a game come January. One more question about last Sunday. A very tough loss uh, and very serious issues and
1: problems to fix. But I don't now, and, nor, and maybe it's just removal of two days from the game. I don't get the sense it was like a season-defining loss. I think it's an aberration. It's hard for me to imagine a, this year's Bills team playing that bad again in the near future.
0: Am I crazy? No, and, and no I, I'm with you. and I think this offense, was it? Maybe the number one scoring offense in the league, the way they've played through the first eight games, it was ranked that. Now, were they that effective or was it the defense playing so well that they're getting short fields, they're getting turnovers, had the number two uh, turnover margin in the NFL, one of the best starting field possessions in the NFL? Combine those things. Maybe this Bill's offense wasn't a 34 points a game offense, but this is going to be up near 30. I'd say a high 20s maybe by the end of the season, hopefully stay over 30 at the end of the season. But this defense is pretty legit. If they're able to stay healthy – and I think part of what we saw last year from this Bills defense is, A, you don't have crowd noise, so you're not getting that boost at home. And then, B, you didn't have the depth on the defensive line that you do now, so you have a lot of fresh bodies. And then Milano and Tremaine Edmonds were both dinged up last year. That – those two guys are studs. We, you know, and the safeties are both studs, uh, and those two linebackers are excellent. So, to answer your question, I think I think this. I know, when we talk about, it, I'm an eternal optimist, but I am not worried one bit about this Bill teams moving forward. And part of the reason is because I have so much faith in, in the coaching staff and knowing that Sean and Brian Dayball will get answers offensively. Nine
1: games left, a long way to go, Eric. How, do you, how are you liking your second year in the broadcast booth? Do you like it?
0: I love it. I, I missed being there with you last year, and I'll, I'll be honest, the pre- and post-game is not the same. It's fun to call those games. It's yep. fun to be in the moment, to be spontaneous and not say, hey, here's our next subject coming up next. We have no idea what's coming next. And yep. uh, I'll say this, and, and I I'd say it to everybody, not just because I'm on the podcast with you. When you have a good play-by-play guy, it makes everybody else's job extremely easy, and you do that for me and Sal through the broadcast. So uh, you're our point guard, and you can dish it out with the best of them. You know what I like about it, doing play-by-play and being on the broadcast? It's, uh, it's like I tell people, it's like a
1: pop quiz every week. You don't know what's going to happen. You're prepared. You have an idea of what might happen, but you have no
0: idea how it's going to play out. I had no idea it was going to play out like that past, this past Sunday. I was looking at future games for Bills and all kinds <laughs> of stuff because I was thinking we'd get the blowout coverage. I thought it was going to be a preseason game, but you That's know right. what? Right. Every week's different, and in the NFL, you've got to show up every week because these teams are talented. I mean, yes, Jacksonville is 1-6, but they have an all-pro defensive end in Josh Allen. They have the number one overall pick at quarterback. They have some weapons offensively. Now, not all of them household names, but we saw some of those guys, uh, especially the physicality at receiver that they had. And then Carlos Hyde at running back, and that was with James Robinson out at running back. You know, they have some good pieces. Miles Jack on their defense. I mean, NFL teams are good. <laughs> Even <laughs> the crappy just ones.
1: <laughs> this, this just in. Hey, Eric, thanks for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Murph.
2: You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy.
1: It's back and it's coming up this Sunday, the 11-Day Power Play in Buffalo. On the line with us now, the co-founder of the 11-Day Power Play, the fifth year, Mike Lesikowski joins us. Mike, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks, John. Great to to be here. Did you ever think this thing would go five years? I mean, that's, that's a pretty remarkable streak you've got going on.
2: Yeah, no, when Amy and I first did this, we thought it was, you know, we, we wanted to do a, a big event and raise a bunch of money for Roswell back in 17. And we did that. We raised a million bucks. Um, and then it kind of like, it got such a, a warm welcome to the community. Um, Buffalo being a hockey town and you know, passionate about raising money that we seemed, seemed remiss not to to continue it on. So we, uh, we, we continued with the community shift and that was five years ago. And now we're back to, uh, we're back to square one with our with our world record game, which is going to be a lot of
1: fun. Tell me about the world record. You've kind of gone back and forth with, what, Edmonton, Alberta on uh, the world records, right? Who has the record now?
2: Yes, so a group called uh, Brent Sake and Friends, great group of people out of Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, they've done this, you know, we, when I first did the, re- the research on this, it turns out they'd already done it a couple times. Um, we, I reached out to them when we first started um, – Started organizing our event. They've been they've been great and kind of helping us through the through the process. So they they now own the record. It's I don't know the exact number, but it's 251 hours and some minutes. Um, so we're going to try to get to, to about 252 hours, break the record by a little bit, but not a lot, so that we can continue doing this thing in the future. Uh, but yeah, that group out of Edmonton, they're they're really great people and they raise money for Alberta Children's Hospital Foundation.
1: So it starts Sunday, 6 a.m. And you run through, uh, and it's a little different that you have it this time of year in the fall, right? But you're going to end up at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. That sounds like really good timing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. We it's it's an, an interesting changes this year. We've always done our event in the summer um, because you know, frankly, to get two full weeks of ice time around the clock during hockey season is, isn't always the easiest thing. So uh, Riverworks was uh, accommodating and also, you know, with the with the pandemic going on, we weren't sure if we could do an indoor event when we started planning it. Riverworks is an outdoor venue, um, which is, we'll see if it's good or bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's uh, November, the, November the 14th, this coming Sunday, 6 a.m. And it goes through November 24th. We're, uh, we're, we're getting geeked up to yeah. uh, get going here.
1: First year at Riverworks, right?
2: Yeah, we, well, believe it or not, last year, uh, when the world came to a screeching halt, we ended up doing a uh, what we called the big save, and it was a street hockey game at Riverworks. None of the rinks would allow what we were trying to do. Riverworks being an outdoor event, we we somehow squeaked out raising a million dollars wow. <laughs> last year, um, doing a street hockey game, which we're very very proud of. Um, but yeah, this is the first year that we're doing the uh, the actual game at Riverworks.
1: What uh, would be the possible concerns with Riverworks and being an outside arena? What do you, I, I I'm trying to imagine what you'd be worried about.
2: Um. Well, you know, <laughs> the the, uh, the forecast is the forecast this coming Sunday is forty degrees with snow and rain, and if it gets really windy, you know, even though there's a roof on it, it is an outdoor event, uh, outdoor venue. So you know, it it could get pretty nasty. We've skated out there in the winter time when when the wind's blowing and it's you know raining and snowing. So it it, it could be another factor. Yeah. Um, yeah. We want 50 degrees, no wind, no rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want a pony too, Mike. I mean, come on. it's November in yeah, you gotta, Buffalo. You gotta, what do you think? It's okay to dream. <laughs> hey, I've um, got Aaron Mankowski and Patrick Hammer on Speed Dial. Yeah.
1: Hey, um, Sullivan's Brewing Company, the sponsors of this podcast, are also one of your sponsors. Talk about Sullivan's involvement in the 11 day power. Play. Yeah,
2: awesome. So I just got to meet Michael Mead this past year. Uh, Michael's the CEO of Sullivan's, and um, he's, he's going to be one of our players. He's uh, he's a he's a pretty interesting guy. Very very passionate. He's uh, he's raised a ton of money. Sullivan's is a is a major sponsor for us. Um, we're gonna have his logo on the ice, which is kind of cool. And I'm sure as a hockey guy, he loves to see that. Um, yeah. So Sullivan's has been great, and Mike has been great in uh, in raising money. That you know he's 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 going to be pushing a hundred thousand dollars of of raising money on his own by the end of this thing. So it's pretty incredible what he's done, and we he's uh, been a welcome part of the of the event.
1: I know he's excited about the logos on the ice. He's probably gonna demand pictures next to a I'm couple sure. of logos, right? i be really laying on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're talking with Mike Lezikowski, co-founder of the Eleven Day Power Play, which starts this Sunday here in uh, Buffalo. Um, so talk about the it's kind of a double format this year. You've got you're back to your original concept with two teams, 20 players each, who will go eleven days. Tell me about that. Yep.
2: So the original, the, uh, by Guinness rules, which are very, very strict. Um, I could have a whole show about that. (laughs) Um, two teams of 20 players this year, we have 38 men and two women, which is kind of cool. Um, and basically what happens is when you start the game with those two teams of 20, nothing can change. It's gotta be a continuous game besides every hour we're allowed to do the ice for no more than 10 minutes. Um, but other than that, everybody has to stay right there um, right around the rink and we play in shifts of four to six hours and we rest between four and eight hours. Um, and then we squeak in a little sleep. We uh, eat a little bit and then, uh, around the clock, 252 straight hours, which is, which is, you know, it's daunting, but speaking from experience, we did it before and we're going to do it again.
1: Yeah. You did do it before. And I wonder what did you find? It's gotta be a physical strain, you know, to play that much hockey, but how much of a mental strain, how much of a, You know, how much of a mental, uh,
2: very much so is it? Yeah, Yeah, very much. So we've, um, we have a presenting sponsor with Excelsior orthopedics and they've been training us for almost a year. So the the, the team has been together on the ice, off the ice, and it's been really great. Um, but you know, nothing can really compare you to just doing something that you're not used to for for that duration of time. And it's not just like, you know, regular times, your shift might be from 1am to 6am one day. And from 11 PM to 3 AM the next, so it's all over the board. Um, your body is not used to it. So it's a, it's a psychological strain. It's very funny because you had t- you talked about the guys from Edmonton. And one of the things we asked them all kinds of questions about, you know, what to expect. And the guy without missing a beat said, between day and three and four, someone's going to get into a fight. I'm like, no, our guys are all, you know, they're, they're teammates. He's like, between day three and four, someone is going to get in a fight. And it happened like, like clockwork because you get, you know, a couple of days in, you're exhausted. You're starting to get sleep deprived, uh, and every little thing gets to you. And you know, take one, take a, take a, uh, a puck off the boot by someone. Um, it, it just, you know, it's exacerbated. Um, but after that, you, you kind of get into a groove. Um, by the, by the time you get to about day nine or ten, you get, you know, you see the, uh, you see the end of it, and uh, it becomes more exhilarating, and the adrenaline's falling. So um, that's, that's definitely one thing to learn. And and the other is just the teamwork, the team aspect of it. We knew we realized after we did the first one that we became so close and supportive to each other through the whole process, that that was really just as important as training physically. And that was, um, kind of a, surprising to me, at least it was, it was more, more surprising than the physical grueling aspect of it was how, how, how important it was for the team to, to gel together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you know, my brother-in-law, David Travers, who was in the first one, 2017. And that's the one thing I remember when it ended in the summer, he was exhausted, but he also, I thought made true friendships and bonded with yeah. all of his teammates after 11 days yeah. skating with them and being on the ice. It was, yeah. it was real.
2: Yeah. We have, we have 22 returners from the original event out of the 40. And uh, some of these guys and girls would never have crossed paths, you know, uh, in, in regular life. And um, the, if you meet them, you're like, these, these people are so different. How could they be so close? <laughs> uh, and it's true. There's been, I, I can think of a, a handful of, uh, of those types of, of relationships that have, have continued since the first and, and will continue probably for the rest of our lives, which is kind of cool.
1: Like you're setting records for the longest, uh, hockey game, but you're also, I think, approaching records for the money raised, right? For cancer research. Can you tell me about that? How much yeah, raised? Yeah.
2: And, you know, the most important thing we should, we should never lose sight of is what the money is going toward. And the majority of our money goes to Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center. Um, my wife was a, a patient there and, um, you know, it's near and dear to our heart. My mom was a patient there and all of our, all of our players have um, some, you know, some unfortunate um relation to Roswell or cancer causes. So that's first and foremost, make a wish Western New York camp, good days, who does amazing thing, both of those organizations. And then there's a collaboration between Roswell and Oshai children's hospital called the uh, cancer and blood disorder program. So those are our beneficiaries and they're very well-deserving and they do amazing work. So we're proud to, we're proud to give them the money. Oh, um, go this ahead. year, yep. we, we've never raised, we, we raised million and then $1.3 and then $1.6. The pandemic hit, we were at $1.1. We are at $1.65 as we speak. And we put out a goal of $2 million this year. And I think, you know, based on the trajectory of things, we're going to be at about $1.7 million before puck drop. And if history repeats itself, we're, uh, you know, we can always bring in a couple hundred grand during the event. So we're going to um, we're gonna get. It, we're gonna set our eyes on that two million dollar goal this year, and it would be really special if we can get there.
1: Last thing, Mike. You know, you guys have been training for months now, and and we all can't skate and take eleven days to play. But how can people listening to this help? What can they do to help raise money or volunteer? What, what do you have? Yeah, you know,
2: my uh, my wife Amy and her uh, her staff. She got a, a couple of us that um, organize it. She's she's done a great job of getting um, volunteers. We we have well over three hundred volunteers that are signed up. Um, what's interesting is that the Guinness makes us follow NHL rules. So we have four officials on ice at all times. So, you know, do the math. They can always, they can only play, it can only volunteer for four hours. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, uh, there's hundreds of people that donate their time, which is great. We have a website, which is 11 daypowerplaycom Um, and the players are all looking for donations, right? So, um, the, the if you can donate a $1, dollar, donate a hundred dollars, whatever you can afford. And also, come on down and have a cup of coffee or have a beer and just like, you know, stop by for an hour. It's really great when people come by and, you know, the game's not exactly NHL pace. Right. So um, sometimes it gets a little grueling and it's great when people are there just to give you a little oomph, you know, so yep. um, stop on down if you, if you have the time.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, attended uh, for 2017, four years ago, it's worth a look, you know, I was there for the final, you know, the, when you finally set the record, but it's even during the course of the, of the games itself, it's, it's pretty interesting to keep an eye on what's going on. It's pretty, yeah, it's fun. And,
2: uh, you, you wouldn't expect, you know, sometimes you'd expect to go there and guys are crawling, crawling around on the ice. And, um, you know, based on our experience from the first one, we ended up playing a pretty decent level of hockey throughout the whole time, which was a little bit surprising, but also very welcoming. And, uh, as a hockey guy, it was, it was really, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you'll never forget.
1: Well, we wish you luck, Mike. Thanks very much for doing this. Thanks for raising the money for Roswell and the other charities. And thanks for letting Sullivan's be a sponsor. Thanks for coming on the show, too.
2: All right. Thanks, Murph. Go Bills. Go Sabres. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy.
1: And so we come to the end of another installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, big weekend coming up. Sunday starts the 11 day power play, and our best wishes to Mike Lezakowski and all of his players and all of the uh, community power play members, and including uh, our own CEO at Sullivan's, Michael Mead, who's going to skate in the 11 day power play. He's going to spend 11 days playing hockey, first time he's ever done it. Best of all, best to all of them, and hope they uh, stay healthy and manage to complete their tasks. The 11 day power play starts this Sunday, 6 a.m. At Riverworks, the two ice rinks down at Riverworks. Also coming up this weekend, obviously you know by now the Bills are playing the Jets. We talked about that with uh, with Eric Wood a moment ago. And we want to let you know about uh, something else coming up to New York City this uh, weekend. And we're going to be at, uh, in New York City on Friday evening, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., a special uh, Sullivan's Night to talk about the Buffalo Bills. We're going to be at Kelly's Irish Pub, 12 Avenue A., alphabet city in new york it's on uh, the lower east side we'll be there from 7 p.m to 10 p.m on friday we'll talk about the bills how they recover from that terrible loss at jacksonville what we expect them to do against the uh, jets on sunday hope to see a number of bills fans there and sullivan's fans as well we'll be pouring sullivan's uh, ales uh the uh, black marble stout in particular and sullivan's Irish red ale uh, malting's Irish red ale and sullivan's gold ale so come on out and say hello Friday night, 7 o'clock till 10 o'clock at Kelly's Irish Pub. The address, 12 Avenue A, Lower East Side of Manhattan. It's uh, Alphabet City, they call it. We'll be there in evening with Sullivan's, and I'll be there as well to take you through the Bill's Talk and the Sullivan's Talk. Kind of be kind of like the show when you think about it, coming up this uh, Friday night. I want to thank our guests uh, today, including Eric Wood and Mike Lesikowski. I want to thank our producer uh, for doing another great job today. And, and uh, he does a, a great job every week. And we, we really appreciate the job that Pat Felbaugh does. So thank you to him. We want to thank you for listening. We hope to see you next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's
0: Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beer.